Good morning again, and welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Two weeks ago, we introduced Jeremiah, the prophet called by God to speak God's word to God's people. And as we discussed, Jeremiah lived in dark days. Sin ran rampant throughout Judah. The leaders of God's people were thoroughly corrupt. And no one in Judah seemed too bothered by this. They consistently refused to repent for breaking their covenant with God. Political turmoil and military upheaval surrounded them from every side. Judah's neighbors and estranged siblings in Israel had already been exiled by Assyria about a hundred years earlier. Now it was only a matter of time before Judah would face God's judgment as well. This time in the form of their own exile in Babylon. It's an understatement to say that times were hard during Jeremiah's life. But even in these dark days, God still displays grace to his sinful people. Multiple times throughout the book, God assures Jeremiah that while his judgment will be harsh, he will not abandon his people forever. One day they'll return home. But God's also got something much bigger in store. Something far better than just freedom from Babylon. Because even though his people have been faithless, God remains faithful. Specifically, a new covenant is coming. And in that day, God will address the root cause of his people's repeated rebellion once and for all. In that day, God will soften their hardened hearts. In that day, God will heal the wound they can't heal themselves. In that day, their sin will be truly forgiven. In that day, their nauseating pattern of crying out to God when things are bad and then abandoning him when things are good, a pattern that we all know too well, will finally come to an end. And that glorious new covenant was inaugurated by the blood of Christ on the cross. Because of who he is and because of what he has done, sinners like them And sinners like us can be reconciled to God. Thanks to Jesus, that beautiful phrase repeated throughout scripture. I will be their God and they will be my people. That beautiful phrase becomes glorious reality. But today, on our last Sunday reading this book, I want to pay some attention to Jeremiah the man. We've talked about the central role that God's word played in Jeremiah's life, that everything he did revolved around it. We've talked about the new covenant that Jeremiah had the joy of announcing. But we haven't spent much time examining the life and ministry of the prophet himself. So what lessons do we learn from looking at the life and ministry of Jeremiah? What do these things teach us about God and what might they mean for us. So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 5. Feel free to use our Bibles here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we move ahead, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for portions of your word that we don't often turn to on our own. Thank you that even in these big, long books, 
that we don't always understand, that we open up and try to read and we make it in maybe four or five chapters and then we give up. Thank you that even in these books that we so often neglect, there are glimmers of your grace. There are examples of your power and your glory and your sovereignty hidden in these books, even if we have to dig a little bit to find them. And so, Father, I pray that as we dig into the book of Jeremiah, as we go to passages that we might be tempted to skip over, I pray that we would be more in awe with the power of your word, but especially your power, that you have been working through people like Jeremiah and that you may just still be working through people like us. Father, I pray that you would help us keep your son, Jesus Christ, at the center of our minds as we read books like these, as we go on through our weeks, as we prepare for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. May we keep our eyes fixed on your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. I pray that our worship would be honoring to you and upbuilding for us. Father, we simply give you all the glory and give you all the praise. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. But we've talked a lot about the content of Jeremiah's preaching. While there were sprinklings of God's grace in Jeremiah's sermons, if we're honest, most of them were doom and gloom. He spoke most about Judah's descent into idolatry, injustice, and evil. He prophesied about the destruction and loss of everything Judah held dear, but also took for granted. But we haven't talked much about the personal suffering that Jeremiah experienced throughout his life. The ministry to which God called Jeremiah was nothing short of grueling. So a few examples of Jeremiah's suffering. In chapter 16, God tells Jeremiah that he's not allowed to get married, not allowed to have children. And he's even commanded not to mourn over the people he preaches to when they die. In chapter 25, God commands Jeremiah to go around with a cup of wine and make people drink it. That sounds like a good time until you read that the cup of wine symbolized the coming wrath of God against them. Again, that's not a great way to make friends. And so it's no surprise that in chapter 26, we read about Jeremiah almost being executed. In chapter 27, God commands Jeremiah to walk around and preach with a yoke around his neck, a heavy wooden bar like you'd see on a pair of oxen in a field. And it all represented the coming bondage to Babylon. In chapter 28, Jeremiah has to deal with Hananiah, a false prophet who contradicted everything he said. In chapter 36, King Jehoiakim takes everything Jeremiah has written down and throws it into a fire. In 37, Jeremiah is wrongly imprisoned. In 38, Jeremiah is cast into a mud pit, not for exfoliation, but for punishment. In chapter 43, Jeremiah is taken to Egypt against his will. I think it's safe to say that Jeremiah doesn't just preach about suffering. He experiences it. Sometimes the ministry God called him to was a source of great joy. But more often than not, it was a source of deep pain, sorrow, and grief. That's why Jeremiah says in chapter 20, verse 14, right after he just spent time praising God and honoring God, he says, Cursed be the day on which I was born, 
The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. So it's difficult, and maybe even impossible, for us to imagine just how challenging Jeremiah's ministry actually was. However, Jeremiah isn't the only servant of God who suffered. Earlier this year, we read about Joseph. Joseph was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, unjustly thrown in prison, and left there to rot for two years, all by the time he was 30 years old. Right when Moses had finally settled down and turned a new page, he was called to a mission that he never really wanted, tasked with leading a people who had disowned him, charged with facing down the most powerful ruler in the world, wandered in the wilderness for decades, was regularly grumbled against by the same people he led out of slavery, and never even got to enter the promised land before he died. Job was the most righteous man of his day, and yet God allowed Satan to take everything from him except his life and three very mediocre friends. And Job never even got a straight answer why. David was God's anointed king, a military hero in Israel, but he spent his early years running from Saul, fearing for his life. Elijah can relate. He spent much of his life fleeing from the wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Hosea was commanded to marry a woman he knew would cheat on him, have kids with her, and then name those kids, no mercy and not my people. Ezekiel was commanded to lay on his side for almost 14 months, symbolizing God's punishment against both Israel and Judah. He was also commanded to eat bread baked on a fire of dung to symbolize their uncleanness. Daniel was taken from his home, placed in the service of pagan kings, threatened with death if he didn't worship false gods, and one time got thrown into a lion's den. Esther risked death in order to prevent the entire Jewish nation from being slaughtered. John the Baptist was thrown in prison and eventually beheaded at a kid's birthday party. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger was Paul's middle name. And toil and hardship throughout many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Jeremiah suffered greatly as a servant of God. But the truth is that he is far from the only one. In fact, God has a long established track record of subjecting his servants to immense hardship. Now. What exactly does Jeremiah's example of suffering, faithfully in obedience to God, and all these other examples of suffering, what do they tell us? 
Well, they tell us that sometimes God calls his servants to suffer. And that may even include people like us. You know, it's possible that one of these days, God could call you to a ministry that you don't really want, that produces little to no discernible fruit, feels incredibly unrewarding, doesn't get you any accolades or recognition, and if anything, may cost you dearly. He may call you to a ministry that doesn't bring you any joy and only brings you pain. In other words, God may call you to a ministry that is just plain hard. Now, perhaps you're already in the midst of that suffering service as we speak. But if you're not, if or when that happens, what will you do? If you are in the middle of that right now, how do you keep going? These stories also tell us that when God does call his people to suffer in service to him, There is a good reason why, even if we can't see it now, and even if we never know in this life what that reason ever was. It took years for him to see it, but Joseph's suffering was all for God's greater purpose of saving his people from famine. Job never truly found out why he suffered so much, but his story has been of great help to God's people who have suffered after him. Even though his death was gruesome, John the Baptist had the privilege of pointing people's eyes to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And for all his suffering, Paul had the joy of proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. So perhaps your miscarriage can become a ministry to other families who have experienced the same loss. Perhaps your cancer diagnosis can become a ministry To the person sitting next to you in the doctor's waiting room. Perhaps God would call you to a life or a form of suffering that no one would ever volunteer for on their own. But it makes you uniquely qualified for a ministry that no one else can do. Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, that terrible burden that you feel can be redeemed. Now, I don't say any of this to glamorize or trivialize or dismiss the very real pain that God's people often experience. If you're suffering right now, you could look at me and say, yeah, you know what? It's really easy for you to say that from the stage when you're preaching, when you're not the one going through it. And I would say, you know what? You're right. It is easy for me to say that. And I'm not saying that we have to put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay and smile and nod when well-intentioned people tell us that everything happens for a reason. It's okay to be honest when our suffering feels pointless. It's okay for us to lament the suffering that God indirectly allows us to experience or directly subjects us to. The same way Jeremiah and Job wished that they had never been born. However, even in the darkest nights of our souls, and even in the deepest sufferings of life, when we too cry out like Jeremiah and Job and curse the day we were born, in those moments may we remember that God can use us for his greater purposes and his glory in ways that we can't see. And may never see. 
We simply can't read scripture and deny that he hasn't done it over and over and over again in the past. And because of the people we read about in scripture, we have confident hope that he can do it with us as well. That he still does it today. Now, of course, it's tempting to accuse God of being cruel, cold, heartless, and even unjust. What kind of God would dare subject people like Jeremiah and Job and Joseph and David and you and me and go down the list? What kind of God would subject people to hardships like these? And if I, this is a God that does this kind of thing, then why in the world would I worship him? Again, it's easy to ask those questions. But before you do, keep in mind that our entire faith revolves around one righteous man suffering unjustly out of obedience to God for the sake of God's greater purposes and glory. Because that is exactly what we see happening at the cross. When Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. The intersection of God's mercy and God's justice. At the cross, we see not just another admirable servant suffering. We see God's own son suffering. We don't just see a good example of faith and endurance. We see the only truly righteous, truly innocent man fulfilling a ministry of suffering for the sins of unrighteous and guilty Men and women like us. So when we suffer as servants of God, the way Jeremiah did, the way all those other biblical figures that we listed, may we remember the ultimate suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We remember the perfect servant who suffered the punishment that we deserved and suffered more than we ever will. He was despised, rejected, esteemed not. He was a man of sorrows, if there ever was one. We remember the servant who, like Jeremiah, came preaching to his own people, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't accept him. We remember the servant who was betrayed by one of his own, arrested under the cover of night, mocked, beaten, paraded through the streets of Jerusalem, carrying the cross he'd be hung on, stripped of his clothes, and then crucified like a criminal. We remember the servant who didn't just come to tell God's people about their sin, but came to take the crushing weight of their sin upon himself. And remembering him, remembering Jesus, the perfect suffering servant of God, is what keeps suffering servants like us going. We talked last week about the new covenant of chapter 31 being one of the things that likely kept Jeremiah going throughout the brutal life and ministry that God called him to. Because again, Jeremiah's ministry was a gauntlet. But there's another promise that God gave Jeremiah as well. And I'm sure this one was just as meaningful and just as sustaining, just as encouraging as the one back in chapter 31. It's in Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 5, the passage you've been opened up to this whole time. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, 
and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That day of the righteous branch has come. He's the suffering servant who isn't just righteous himself. As Isaiah writes, by his suffering, he makes others accounted as righteous in the sight of God, too. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ is the one who became sin on our behalf, even though he knew no sin himself, in order that we might become the righteousness of God. He's the one the law and the prophets bore witness to. He's the one Jeremiah was talking about in chapter 23. And by faith in him, we are reunited to God. Jesus is the good king that Jeremiah never got to see before he died. But we get to see him every single week when we take communion. When we suffer as servants of God, which if our lives are anything remotely like the lives of those we read about in scripture, then we will. When those times come, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the suffering servant, the righteous branch, our righteousness. He sustains us in our weaknesses. He empowers us to keep going when we want to quit. And because of his suffering and service to God, we know that our suffering and service to God is not in vain. We know that even if faith in him requires us to suffer now, that same faith in him will one day give us eternal rest. So may we recall what Jesus has done for us. And may we know without a doubt that the God who may call us to suffer in obedience to him is a God who is worth suffering for. And when we suffer in obedience to God, we are in good company. We're in the company of the prophets. We're in the company of the apostles. And of course, we're in the company of Jesus Christ himself, who suffered for our sins. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that even as Christians, we suffer just as much as anybody else. No one here, I think, in their right mind would say that becoming a follower of Christ or being in relationship with you automatically eliminates suffering and hardship and pain. It doesn't. In fact, faith in you may even require us to suffer more than if we didn't believe in you. But, Father, thank you that our suffering isn't in vain. Thank you that we're not saved through our grit. We're not saved through our ability to endure. We're not saved through our ability to keep a stiff upper lip or grin and bear it. But rather, we are saved by Christ's suffering. We're saved by his broken body and his shed blood. But we ask you to empower us and sustain us and strengthen us that if and when a time of suffering comes our way, we can suffer faithfully. We can continue serving you 
even when it's hard, the way so many people have before us. Thank you that your son suffered, but thank you that your son's suffering wasn't the end of the story. Thank you that the tomb was found empty. Thank you that he appeared to many, many people. Thank you that he ascended, and thank you that he promised to return, because we know that you are faithful to your promises, that you watch over your word to keep it. And so, Father, until Christ returns, or until we die, may we serve you well, may we suffer faithfully, knowing that none of it is in vain. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.